Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, And let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Gives it to him whomever he will. And sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, 
whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the, the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted, resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, clearly we've been 
beginning our study of the book of Daniel. And as we have been looking at the book of Daniel, we're looking at the impact of his life, his God, and again, in the future, we'll be considering the impact of his writing. Although, I think that as we're going through this and we're getting the application of it, there's, an appli- there's a, clearly the impact of his writing even in our lives today. But um, there's an impact of his writing that we'll see when we get the prophetic portion as well. But over the last couple weeks, and specifically last week, I pointed out that God is in the midst of doing a special work in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's, I refer to this as Operation Nebuchadnezzar, where God is seeking to get the attention of this pagan king. He is revealing his grace, his mercy, his truth to this man who is, at his day, was the most powerful man on the earth. And so God begins it with the dream, the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, the dream about the image, in which he then has this mindset where he doesn't want just the interpretation, but he wants someone to prove to them, to him, that they really knew what they were talking about by not only giving them the interpretation, but they had to tell him what he actually dreamt. And he was told, nobody can do that. There is no one who could do that except the gods, and they're not, their dwelling is not with men. It's not in the flesh. And so Daniel finds out about it from Arioch, and he asks for a reprieve for him to have the opportunity to be able to have it. And so Nebuchadnezzar grants it to him. And that evening, so Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah all pray that God would do the impossible, that God would reveal to them the dream then and also the interpretation. And so Daniel... Uh, Belteshazzar, Daniel, receives the dream that night. He goes into Nebuchadnezzar. He tells him the dream. Nebuchadnezzar gives praise to the Most High God, the God of Daniel, who is the revealer of secrets. Okay? And so it's beginning this process where, where the, the, the field of Nebuchadnezzar, if you would, Nebuchadnezzar being a field, is starting to be tilled. It's starting to be um, plowed up. And he's starting to realize that there is a God who was above his gods. His gods were unable to do this thing. But, as we talked then last week, there is this point where I think that Nebuchadnezzar still has this in his mind that it's all about him. Because this God, who's above all gods, chose him to reveal this information about the future. And so he still is the king of all these kings, and, and he still is the wonder of his own mind, at least. And he's dealing with, and we saw from Isaiah 14, how that pride is really the, the core sin of Satan. And that is the sin, that is the struggle that we all have, self. That we struggle with dealing with our own pride, with who we are, and we... And we lift ourselves up above the Most High God. And so Dan, uh, Daniel, um, Nebuchadnezzar does this. And Nebuchadnezzar makes then this image, which I do think that it was probably in like his likeness. It's a possibility that it wasn't his likeness. It was something else. But he wants everybody to bow down to it. Okay? It's a power movement okay? at this thing where he, he's going to call for all the languages, all the peoples, all the nations to come, and they, at least representatively, and they have to bow down to this idol that he has made. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, right? And so they're there. We don't know where Daniel's at. Okay, and so they're there, and they have this command that they have to bow down as well, but when the trumpets and and all the music, the the whole orchestral thing begins to blow, they choose to stand. And then by choosing to stand, they also choose to do what? 
be thrown in the fiery furnace because what Nebuchadnezzar also declared at the same time was whoever didn't bow to this idol would be thrown immediately into the fiery furnace. And so he was so irate that he told them that he wanted it stoked seven times hotter. He wanted it hotter than it ever was. And these, two, these three guys, they'd be thrown in and it teach the whole world a lesson to not go against the decree of the king. The fire was so hot that um, those who threw in Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they died because of the heat of the flames. But after throwing them in, they walked around into the, in, in the flames, and they were joined by a fourth who Nebuchadnezzar himself declares looked like the Son of God. And so he pulls them out, and he realizes that they don't even smell like smoke. There's nothing wrong with them. And he gives glory to the Most High God. He realizes now that not only is this king, this God, the revealer of secrets, but this God is greater and more and able to then to um, uh, shun or change his decree. He's able to override the decree of of Nebuchadnezzar, and he is over fire. So you need to understand a lot of these in a lot of these pagan. They have the, the gods of fire and that kind of stuff. He's over then the gods of fire and everything else because these, these three guys were able to walk through this thing. And this God sent somebody as their protector in the midst of the flames. But only three got out. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Today, we want to transition then into this point where God, this most high God, is going to take it to phase three. And he's going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar that not only is he the revealer of secrets, not only is he the, the one who is over the flames, but he is the one who can, in a moment, at his choosing, he can take Nebuchadnezzar, who is just a pawn in his hand, who is just a piece of clay, and he can depose him from the kingdom. He can remove his throne. He can cause him to be nothing. In fact, he can cause him to be like a beast of the field if he chose to. But he's also then going to reveal his grace and his mercy to him because he's going to restore the kingdom. He can give it to whomever he chooses to. It's a beautiful passage. But before we can get into this passage, we've got to deal with what I call a distraction. There are many people, and if you remember when we studied the book of John, we just finished the book of John at the end of the last year, right? And I mentioned that John was dealing with, a, with another religious thing called Gnosticism. In that in Gnosticism, there is this special knowledge. And I mentioned that there are people even today that struggle with this Gnosticism, feeling like there's got to be this, this hidden knowledge. And it goes all the way back to the, to the deception of Satan in the garden. When he, when he talks to um, Eve, and he says, has God really said? Well, God knows. And he starts adding to the words of God. That God knows that when you eat of it, you're going to be like him. There's more knowledge that God has that he doesn't want you to know. And so if you eat from the tree, you'll what? You'll get the knowledge. No, no, you're not going to die. God said that. Satan said you're going to get the knowledge, right? You're going to be like God, okay? And if you remember from Isaiah 14 as well, that was the whole sin that was there. And that was in the, um, in the area of talking about the king of Babylon, that, that Satan's chief sin was to be like the Most High, right? So when we come to this concept of the watcher, okay, you'll note as Chuck read this, okay, I want you to look at the passage. And again, if you're not familiar with any of this, I apologize. Turn off your brain for the next 10 minutes, okay? Um, but this is important, I think, as we go through things for us to, to learn and to understand where things come from, okay? And to, to not be taken by surprise by them when other people bring them up, okay? Okay, so 
So drop down to verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head, while on my bed there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. Okay, And so this, then this watcher cries out. Now if you have an NIV, I think it says a messenger. Okay, um, And so there are different terms for this. We'll come back to this in a moment. Okay? So he then speaks. Okay, But then you drop down to verse 17. After all these things, you see that um, Nebuchadnezzar de- de- declares about his dream, this decision is by the decree of the what? Of the watchers. Did you just, did Chuck, when Chuck read through that, you probably didn't even think about it, right? Well, I guarantee you there are people who, who pick up on these little bitty details, okay? And, and they miss the impact of the entire chapter because they begin to focus on this little bitty detail that must have more information. And indeed, there is more information. So first of all, the thing I want to present, okay, as we go into this, is to remember this first part, okay, the dream isn't Daniel giving Nebuchadnezzar the dream this time. That was the first dream. Make sense? Who's conveying the dream right now? Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, who is from a polytheistic society, who has a pantheon of gods, multiple gods and goddesses, okay, you don't have a worldview in your brain that's even close to it. Okay? If you were Hindu, if you were Indi prior to this and you got saved out of it, you'd understand this concept. Okay? But I promise you, you don't have a clue of what it's like to serve a pantheon of gods. That God is in everything and that there's a God for this and a God for that and a God for this. And so, like the Egyptians, so when, 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 when Yahweh delivered Israel from the Egyptians, what was going on with the plagues is he was revealing that he was greater than all the gods of Egypt. Okay, each one of those plagues. And so if, if, if the kids in the kids club, when we went through this, um, when we went through this, I showed them the various gods, the Egyptian gods that were being attacked by Yahweh in the midst of those plagues. Okay, there was a point for all that. And so the same thing that's going on here, Nebuchadnezzar has all these gods. Okay, and so so think about it from his perspective when he's seeing the dream. When he sees the dream, and he's interpreting the dream, and he's understanding the dream, whose perspective is he understanding it from? Is he understanding it from your perspective, Daniel's perspective, or his own perspective? Do you understand? Okay. And I think God is revealing to him in the context of his own understanding. Okay? So, so I want you to understand that. That's an important thing. Okay? So we got a pagan. So you can't take his words. Stop for a moment. The book of Acts. Luke quotes um, Gamaliel. But I promise you, when I go to the passage where Gamaliel is speaking, I don't preach as if Gamaliel's words are the word of God. And I'm not going to preach that this is a, a, a truth from God. Does it make sense? The book of Jude is quotes from, and we'll talk about this in a moment, the book of Enoch. But he's using it the same way as Paul was writing to Titus. And, and when he writes to Titus, he quotes who? The prophet of the Cretans. And he's not saying, well, this is the word of God, so therefore we're going to take what the Cretans said and we're going, to, we're going to proclaim it. Okay, And so just as Jude then quotes from the book of Enoch, because that was something that was understood by the, the Jews at the time, he's not saying that this is scripture. Do you understand? Important. Okay, So when you read the words of Nebuchadnezzar, they are still what? The words of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, They're not the words of Daniel. Okay, So, secondly... What do you see? You've got to turn this on. The correction by Daniel. Okay? This is huge to me. Okay? Because what we just read in verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watchers. Who said that? 
Nebuchadnezzar in looking at his dream. But drop down to verse 24, where Daniel now is giving the interpretation. Okay? Where we read, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of who? The Most High. Okay? Verse 25, you'll see, till you know that the Most High rules. And when you drop down to verse 32, you'll find out that until you know that the Most High rules. It's Daniel then comes and he corrects Nebuchadnezzar in, in, in the terminology. Okay? You are seeing it like these watchers are the ones who are in charge, like these ones who are coming are the ones who are decreeing this thing. But it wasn't the watchers. They're just what? They're just like messengers. Okay? They're just the ones who are sharing with you what God has decreed. It's the Most High who is the one who is ruling, not the watchers. Important. So you ask the question then, what? Who are the watchers? I'm glad you asked that question because we've got to identify who they are. Now, what's really interesting is the, the, the word that's used here and only used in Daniel chapter 4 is the word ear or irin when it's plural, watchers. In or im is the, the plural. Okay. The word is, is, is ayin, yod, resh. I know it means nothing to, except for Gerard. So I only stated that for those who are going to be watching the video and for Gerard. Okay? So Gerard, maybe I'm putting you on the spot too much here. I don't know if you know that, the word or not. If you saw ayin, yod, resh, what would that be? A city. A city. Okay? But all the Hebrew translators, I mean, this is driving me bonkers. I don't get it. Anyways, um, Kyle and Dalish are like the, the ones that I go to for like, if I'm going to, it's Kyle and Dalish. They want to go with it. No, no, this is actually based upon Ayan Vav Resh. What's Ayan? It's Ayan Yod Resh. Why would it be based upon Ayan Vav Resh, which means to awake? Well, you know, because those are the ones who awaken the city. So that's even why city is city, because it's based upon awake. That doesn't make any sense to me. Anyways, so whatever. But I'm telling you, that's what the Hebrew scholars. Yesterday morning, so I'm struggling with this. I'm praying about this. Because I, I, I don't care about it. I really don't care about it. I see it as a distraction. But I understand that I'm supposed to understand some things about some things. Okay? And I need to be able to understand. So I woke up yesterday morning with this feeling of, go search out the Akkadian. Now, for many of you, uh, I mentioned this to someone last night. I won't say who it was. Anyways, and, and they said, what's that? And um, I was kind of surprised. I didn't know. And so anyways, but what's Akkadian? Akkadian is like the first um, real civilization, okay? And so if you understand where um, Abraham was from, Abraham was from Ur. Ur is the, um, considered to be the, um, um, the, the, the birthplace of civilization. And if you go further than that, and I don't have time to go through all this, but there's a lot of things that go on in my brain, okay, and that I've studied and I've kind of looked at, but... Jerusalem, the temple, is considered to be where the temple is, and this is why this is, important, is so important, is supposed to be actually where the Garden of Eden was. Okay? Um, and so think about this. In the future, in Revelation, water's going to be coming out of the throne. There's no water up there. Okay? Like waters came out of the Garden of Eden. Anyways, but if you go east, then they were sent east from there, from Jerusalem. You go east. And then they went even further east. You know where you get to? You get to Mesopotamia. You get into this, the, 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 the cradle of civilization. Okay? When Noah got off the ark and they went and, they, they, and they, they, they settled someplace, where did they settle? The plains of Shinar. They went and settled in what we call, consider the birthplace of civilization. Okay? From in, in, in this place. Akkadian, then, was that language which was 
first language, okay? And it's made with a bunch of wedges. I almost put up here the word air for you or the syllable air for you so you would see it and you understand. But it's made up of wedges. They look like trumpets to me. But anyways, but it's a series of wedges and stuff like that that they would understand. It was like an alphabet. But it wasn't an alphabet. It was more syllabic, syllabic like, um, like the Chinese language. So, Mrs. Wu, I'm glad you're here. So the Chinese language doesn't really have letters, does it? It has thoughts. It has symbols. And you build a thought upon a thought. And most people, I shared this in the past, most people don't get this, but um, uh, Israel is our Semites, our Shemites. Chinese people are closer than Israelites than, than those who are Europeans, your Japhethites, okay? And so the Hebrew language is really in the same light, of the, built in the same concept, okay? It's concepts upon concepts. And so if you go into the Hebrew language, I don't have time to get into it, they're concepts built upon concepts, okay? Just like the Chinese language is, okay? And so... I started studying the Akkadian language yesterday morning. Um, I've looked into it in the past, different kinds of stuff, but I've never really had a rule about it. You know, I love Semitic languages, okay, so Aramaic and that kind of stuff. If I would have stayed in seminary, I would have been a Semitic language guy, okay? I would have been all into that stuff, so I really enjoy it. And so this is the birthplace of the Semitic languages. So, um, so I understand some of the concepts of it, and so I started studying the Akkadian language yesterday morning. What do you do for Saturday mornings? Fun. Anyway, um, and so anyway, so I started reading, and what I realized was that IR, ear, is one of the, the actual um, syllabic um, letters, if you would, syllabic renderings in the Akkadian language. This is such a mysterious word that when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. They didn't translate it at all, Period. They transliterated it. You remember why I've talked about transliteration a lot, like the word baptism isn't really an English word. It's a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. Listen to baptizo, listen to baptism, that's it. There's no such word. Baptizo literally means to dip, dunk, or immerse. We don't mean it that way when we say it because somebody transliterated the word rather than translating the word. And so the same thing happened. They had no idea how they wanted to translate this word. So they didn't translate it. Honestly, you go to the Greek, you're going to find IR. It's the only place you're going to find it in the Greek Septuagint. It's left a what? A mystery. Do you get it? I think, it, I think, think, conjecture, not written in Scripture. I can't promise you this. I'm not the expert on it. I think it comes from the Akkadian. I think that, again, this is the words of who? Nebuchadnezzar, who is a has a pantheon of God, who is from this background, right? And he sees these in things coming down, we'll talk about it in a moment, and he just likens it to something that he understands from his past. Like Israel, when they go into the promised land, those 12 spies go into the promised land, they go in and they come back and they say that they, say that they saw who? The Nephilim. They didn't see the Nephilim. They couldn't have seen the Nephilim. Do you know why they didn't see the Nephilim? Because they died in the flood. But people are going to tell you, oh, there's all the Nephilim. See, the Nephilim still existed. No, they thought they saw the Nephilim because they'd heard the stories and that's what they related it to. They didn't see them. They saw giants, but they weren't the Nephilim. Did you get it? So he's relating it to something that he's seen in the past. Now, I've got to be, you know, this is truth in advertising, right? So where does all this play out? Because there is this concept, though, of something in another realm, okay? There's a spiritual realm where there are these ones who are powerful people or people, 
beings, okay, in the spiritual realm. So in Genesis chapter 6, we see when the sons of God came down to the daughters of men, right? Literally, it is sons of the gods, is literally what it says. And in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, it says it again. There was a time when the, son, the sons of the gods came in before Yahweh, okay? And that's when um, Satan... Uh, asks to, 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 to work Job over, and God says, go ahead and do it. You can do that. And in chapter 2, he comes back, and you can do it again. Okay? That there was a period of time when this happened. Okay? So there were these individuals who were called sons of God. Now, that kind of changes a little bit of what we just talked about last week, doesn't it? When you, when you consider maybe what, um, what was Nebuchadnezzar thinking when he actually saw it wasn't Jesus. Do you understand? I mean, I always hate when I see pictures of Jesus in the, in the, in the fire with him because I don't think Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, oh, look at that, that's Jesus. He doesn't have no clue who Jesus is, okay? He's thinking it from his, his own pagan perspective, okay? Psalm 82, verse 1, also written by Asaph, which is interesting because Psalm 73 was written by Asaph as well. And so I researched Asaph this morning because I thought to myself, as he was singing the song about whom in heaven but you, but I, I became like a beast. And I thought, well, I wonder, Justin and I were talking about this, I wonder if he was actually thinking about Nebuchadnezzar in this moment. But Asaph actually was a contemporary of David. So he wasn't thinking of that. Okay? At the best, it was a prophetic motion, moment. Okay? But in Psalm 82, verse 1, we read a psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. That's how the New King James states it. Literally, though, what it says is, Elohim stands in the congregation of El. He judges among the Elohim. Elohim is the word for gods. Gods stand in the congregation of God. And he judges among the gods. Does that make you kind of nervous a little bit? Okay. And so those who love to get into this stuff, they go to these passages. And they say then there has to be further what? Knowledge. There's got to be more to it. Well, God gave us more to it, okay, in the New Testament. But he still stops short. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 2, we're told that there are principalities, powers, and um, rulers in heavenly places, okay? There are these powers that are in the heavenly places. But you know what we're not given in the Word of God? Details about it. Do you get it? But what we are told in the law, that we're supposed to stay out of that stuff. We're supposed to stay away from that stuff. Okay? And we'll talk about that verse in just a moment. Okay? Because there's one last thing I want to talk about, and that's the book of Enoch. I don't have time to go into the book of Enoch. Okay? But there are people who, who, who think this way, who are, who are pouring into this stuff. They always go to the book of Enoch. Because the book of Enoch says, the book of Enoch says, and while Jude quotes from the book of Enoch, so therefore it must be, and it's an apocrypha. And so you, you non-Catholic individuals, you just missed it, and the book of Enoch's supposed to be part of the Bible. And so if you just read the book of Enoch, you'd understand all this stuff. Really? I find that really kind of interesting. Do you know why? And I'm going to give you one, just one, I'll give you a lot, but I'm going to give you one. That's kind of like the, duh, okay? See, the book of Enoch was supposed to be written by who? Enoch. Okay, before the flood. Okay, and in the book of Enoch, okay, um, Enoch refers to the birth of uh, Noah and what Noah is like, and he refers to all the time coming up to the flood. That's really kind of an interesting thought process. If there was really a writing from somebody that we have prior to the 
flood. I'm not even going to talk to you about how hard it would be to, to still have the remains of that after the flood, okay, and where they would have found it and, and all that kind of stuff, okay? But they don't have a whole lot of pieces of it, okay? But for some of you, you're going to be able to see this. If you're sitting way in the back, you're probably not, and so you have to look at the video later on this, okay? I'm a math major, okay? I love math. I've done chronologies of the Bible. This is part of my chronology. And over the years, at different times I've gotten a wild burr, um, I've just done it further and further. I've researched even into the Egyptian um, dynasties, um, finding out as far as where um, Daniel, uh, Daniel, Joseph was in the midst of all that and kind of stuff. I love it. I love history. I love all this stuff. And so I've done a chronology of the Bible. Okay? God has given. God has given. God has given details regarding it. That's all those chapters you hate where so-and-so begat and so-and-so begat and so-and-so begat and so-and-so begat. They're wonderful chapters because God is giving us details where we can actually date things, okay? So in 460 AM, AM is Anomundi. Anomundi, I never heard of Anomundi. It's the year of the world, okay? Because zero was creation. There was no dating. We want to date everything by BC and AD. Started with AM, you know, Anomundi. Zero. God created, right? Okay, so we come on through. So at 460 a.m., that means 460 after the, the creation of the world, Jared was born. In 622 a.m., Enoch was born. Ah, Enoch was born. Only 622 years after God created the heavens and the earth, Enoch was born. Do you know who's still alive? Adam's still alive. Isn't that kind of cool? So Enoch would know Adam. That's kind of cool, right? Okay. So we go on. In 687, that means Enoch was 55, I'm sorry, 65 years old. Methuselah was born. Ah, Methuselah is the son of Enoch. Well, then Methuselah gives birth to Lamech in 874 AM in Amundi. But then in 987, Enoch is translated or raptured. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. What didn't you see so far? Noah. Because he wasn't born until 1056. Now, I could be off on my genealogy a little bit here. I'll give you that. I don't know if we're... If, do I have it way down here? Uh, I don't have it. Uh, do I do it? Do, 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 do. Abraham was born in 1948. That's kind of a neat uh, thing for... Um, <clears throat> never thought about that. Never saw that before. This is Just so you know, this is kind of a... Woohoo! When was Israel? Yeah, that's kind of cool. Anyways, so what a coincidence. Okay, anyways... I never thought about that one before. That's kind of fun. I'm going to stop a moment. Wait, you got to get me. My brain is just kind of going, wow, that is like really, really positively cool. Okay. Um, Anyways, so he's born in 2023. He enters into the Canaan. Okay. But where is it? Noah dies right here. Here's Noah dying. Do you realize that Noah was living when Abram was on the earth? And there's only, look look at the distance here. 17 years by my, by my, uh, I, I, I hold to the fact that that Noah died and Abraham was called at the same time. That the end of the first covenant was ended and the second covenant began. Anyways, we can talk about this some other time. A lot of fun. Isn't this fun stuff? Okay. But look at this. Noah wasn't around. How did Enoch talk about it? It's not an inspired book. Do you get what I'm saying? That's why it's not the word of God. It's not an inspired book. Okay, so I'm going to end it here. I have more to share on that if I want to, but I'm not. I'm going to end it, okay? That it's, it's massive, okay? Deuteronomy 29, 24, 29. All nations would say, why has Yahweh done this? So 
when he goes and he pummels Israel. Okay? So Moses is talking prophetically about when God is going to punish Israel, Israel and this is all comes from this. But it's important. Note a part of the punishment. Why the punishment? What goes on in all this? Okay? It says, then people would say, you know, why, why has he done this? Then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of Yahweh, God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods, other Elohim. They got interested in other Elohim. They were distracted by other Elohim. And they worshipped them, Elohim, that they did not know and that he did not give to them. Then the anger of Yahweh was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is what? Written in this book. And Yahweh uprooted them from their land in anger and wrath and indignation and cast them into other land as it is this day. The secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all according to the words of this law or according to the words of this book, this writing, this teaching. What does God want you to focus on? Him, but how, specifically? In his words. In his word that he has given to us, not to be worrying about what he didn't give us. We're always wanting something else. So I have people that I, I deal with in this situation, okay? And the thing, because they're not reading this. They're watching YouTube videos. They're reading non-biblical books. They're spending a lot of time reading. And they're spending a lot of time being taught. But they don't read this. So the one guy, I specifically said to him, would you do me a favor? Because, I mean, he's spending hours hours upon hours he's like what you were saying justin where he had his job where he could listen to things okay and he's listening to all this other stuff and i said listen to the bible listen to god's word oh that's not fair well why isn't it fair i mean i'd rather focus on the truth than the things that i don't know where there are truth i mean some of the things these people could be saying could be what could be truth could be real i mean maybe aliens are going to come to the earth you know and i mean well no demons who are pretending to be what Aliens, whatever, okay. I can give you all that kind of stuff. I don't know it is. I don't know. Do you feel convicted when I tell you this? Yeah, I was asked that once. I said, no, actually, I don't. You know what? I said, no, I really don't, because it's not in God's word. Would you please start spending an equal amount of time in God's word as you do in this other stuff? A week and a half ago, he texted me and said, I want you to know I took the challenge, and I'm trying to do that. This is the last I heard from him. Anyways, so, um, no, I don't mean it negatively. It's po- I, I'm, I take it as a positive, okay? And I hope that he's doing it. I'm praying for him to do it. Spend time in God's word. Then you'll be grounded when you come to this other stuff. Does that make sense? Okay? Because it's out there, okay? But the hidden things, the secret things, belong to Yahweh. Does that make sense? I'm good with that. People think I'm ignorant sometimes. I'm, I'm really not as ignorant as I seem, okay? Well, maybe I am more so. Anyways, so, but... I think God's gave me plenty of stuff, man. It is rough for me to get through this stuff and fully understanding everything he's given me. Why do I need to try to go to the words of a man? Anyway, whatever, sorry. All right, let's move on to the, the part that's really important here, okay? And this is the fact that the Most High rolls, and he's going to reveal this in the life of this, this king who's a, um, the most powerful man on the earth. And so he gives the, the dream then, and Daniel now gives the interpretation. So we're going to focus a little bit more on Daniel's interpretation than the dream itself, Okay. And so what does Daniel say? The first thing that happens is, is he's just dumbfounded. I mean, what would you do? This guy says, off with your head, and what? Off with your head. He says, throw him in the fire. Just throw him in the fire, right? And so now all of a sudden, he says, here's the dream, and you know what it means. How are you going to answer it? So he's kind of like, um, hey, let's talk about the weather. 
Now, the Steelers were playing back then. They'd be talking about Steelers, you know, Ben Roethlisberger retiring and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, retired. Yeah, it's like retreaded. Anyways, and so, um, but, but they don't have any of that stuff. There's no NFL to talk about. There's none of this, you know. And so he's just kind of standing there like, um, and Nebuchadnezzar says, what? <laughs> Go ahead. Don't worry about it. Please, whatever it is, I want you to have the freedom to tell me. And then I'll be off with your head. <laughs> and so he doesn't say it that way, right? So Daniel, think about it, has to have boldness at this moment. Because he's going to declare the word of God as it is in truth. I want you to understand that that last part I just talked about was very nerve-wracking for me to share about, okay? Okay? But I, it's truth. And so there's two sides of the story. And I know I get it from both sides then, you know? So... Um, People who think there's more and people who don't think that there's anything at all. And so it's okay. Um, but Daniel's first part is, is coming with the deposition of, of Nebuchadnezzar. You, O king, are, are this tree, right? You are great. You are everybody. Everybody's under you, but guess what? <laughs> You're nothing when it comes to God. And God is going to wipe you out. That watcher that you saw come down, he's going to cut off the tree. That's you. Because God's going to reveal to you that he's God. And he's given you enough information for you to respond. But you have chosen not to respond. And so there's going to come a time when God's going to what? Do you know why God didn't take Israel into the promised land immediately? No. Well, that's true on their end. But we're told specifically. Say that again. Yeah, the sin of the Canaanites hasn't been fulfilled. They, 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 God knew that they weren't, they weren't ready for the judgment yet. And so God was delaying it. God told Abraham, you know, your, 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 your descendants are going to wander, they're going to spend 400 years, and they're going to be as a slave, and then I'm going to bring them out, and then I'm going to bring... Because it's at that moment when, when, they're gonna, when these nations are going to be ripe for judgment. Okay, God knows all things. And so when God chooses to judge, it is always a righteous judgment. Why, what is the proper reason to go to war for a what? A just cause, a righteous cause, a just cause, okay? And so God's judgment is always a just judgment. Do do you understand? Okay? And so God is going to judge Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to bring this chastisement upon him because he has revealed himself. Think about it. When's the last time you had a dream and somebody told you what it was and then told you what it meant? That'd be pretty impressive. And when's the last time that you did something and you defied somebody else and threw them into a furnace and they didn't get burned up? I mean, did you ever do that with ants and stuff like that? You know, you know, torch them and stuff like that. And did you ever see an ant come walking out and go, Rawr! you know, anyways, wouldn't that be kind of something? Like, Whoa, these are real fire ants. Anyway, so, you know, um, you're not going to do that. But anyways, Nebuchadnezzar, of all people, doesn't have a what? He doesn't have an excuse. It's kind of like Pharaoh. Think of all the things Pharaoh saw. He doesn't have a what? An excuse, but his heart kept being hardened. His heart kept being hardened. I know you can debate who hardened Pharaoh's heart. I think both God did, but it's because Pharaoh was hardening it. And God at that moment said the window's closed. So God's going to bring the judgment upon Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to um, take away. But in the promise of that, of that as well, we're told about the band, that it's going to the, tree, the trunk of the tree is going to be banded. Because, and I don't understand, I'm not an arborist, and I didn't look this part up, Okay. I was interested in it, but I didn't really have time to look this part up. 
why, why the band? You know, what did the band mean? So all in my brain, it probably was something about the banding. And George, maybe you know this better than I do. Anyways, something about the banding would allow the tree to continue to live. That the band would be taken off and the tree would be able to thrive again and would start to grow once more. Okay? But the important part of it is that God, in his grace, okay, was going to allow Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom to be restored. And you know what the exciting part about this is? God's telling him all this prior to it happening. Do you realize when you go out and talk to people, hopefully knocking on doors or people in your neighborhood or your family members or whatever, it's not all about the judgment of God, is it? But coupled with the judgment of God, because when they die, if they don't know Jesus, where are they going? They're going to hell. I mean, it doesn't sound, you said that word, you know, H-E double hockey stick. It's the bad place, the bad place that lives forever. Whatever you want, however you want to say it, you're going to go there. It's separation from God for all of eternity. But it doesn't end there, does it? This is the grace of God. But God gives the opportunity to you to not go there. Does that make sense? Well, for, for Nebuchadnezzar, he's doing, dealing with this not eternally, but temporally on the earth. And God says to him, I'm going to teach you a lesson, but I'm going to give you another chance. How cool is that? A God of second chances, third chances, four chances, five chances. God continually gives us chances while we're on the earth, but there's going to come a day when your day's done and you don't have another what? Chance. And so he tells Nebuchadnezzar, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pummel you. I'm going to take away your kingdom. It's going to be cut off from you. But when you're brought back, I am going to restore it back to you. And so, based upon all this, Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar a challenge. And that is to what? Repent! Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. Your kingdom is nothing compared to the kingdom of God. That goes for you and me. Your kingdom is nothing. I don't care how big your kingdom is. I don't care how vast it is. I don't care how many things you have in your kingdom. But your kingdom is nothing compared to the kingdom of God. And in a moment, when he chooses to, he has to snuff it out. Do you realize that you're only alive because he made you alive? And the one who put the breath of life into you can snuff the breath of life out of you. You are not your own master. You may think you are, like Nebuchadnezzar thought he was. But you're not. It would be that God would not have to teach us in the same manner that he taught Nebuchadnezzar. Because now we get to, sorry, the chastening itself. Nebuchadnezzar's pride is the cause of it. We see that. We're told it. And so I want to do a little breakaway here for a moment. And I want to share four verses from Proverbs. There's lots of verses from Proverbs that we could share. But as I was kind of doing this and pondering this, and, and so I put together the outline, but that doesn't mean I'm stopped working on the message, you know? And so I'm still pondering and meditating upon it. And, and so the Lord just keeps adding. You should be glad that Sunday comes faster than it, than it does sometimes because this could be in the four-hour message. But Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way in the perverse mouth I hate. Yahweh hates it. It's an abomination when I think I am better than I am. He hates it. Proverbs 11 verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16 verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29 verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will return honor. We'll retain, sorry, we'll retain honor. Thank you. Big takeaway. God hates what? Pride. Therefore, what? Be humble. 
Shirk it. Understand you don't know everything you think you know. He hates arrogance. He hates pride. If you want to know him and you want to be closer to him, the first step is sacrificing self. It's kind of what we talked about in Sunday school. I've got to deny myself. I need to take up my cross daily. I need to follow him. I understand. I need to understand. I don't understand. There's a um, Buddy Davis song, um, and I'm, I'm going to blow it. So those who got this line quoted in your brain, you can help me out with it. The more that we think we know, the more that we'll never know next to what God knows, we know next to nothing at all. Oh, I did it. Yes. Now I've got to sing it. Sorry. Anyways, so it's a great song. It's a little ditty, isn't it? The more that we think we know, the more that we'll never know, the next to what God knows, we know next to nothing at all. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is learning at this moment. So then we get to his punishment. Seven years of lycanthropy. Seven years of lycanthropy. That's the counselor side of me coming out. Okay? So what's lycanthropy? Anybody know what lycanthropy is? Go ahead, Justin. Uh, you're, that's because I told you, though, huh? Did you know it before that? No. So tell me what it is. Literally, it's being a werewolf, because lycos is a wolf, anthropy is, and so it's, it's, it's becoming like a, a, a werewolf. But it's taken in the, in the counseling realm as a broader, and that is when you have this, um, that you are personifying a beast in your, in your, um, in, in, in feeling like that. So it's a, this psyche kind of thing, this, um, where you are then taking on the persona of a wild beast. Literally, it's becoming a werewolf. Um, so... Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, seven times, seven years. I love this picture. That's why I used it. Could you, do you ever think about it? What does it look like? What did the people see when they saw Nebuchadnezzar? Huh? They thought he was nuts. That's exactly right. But isn't it amazing? Think about this now, because we're not going to really talk about this a whole lot, because this is, again, this is extra biblical. I'm adding into it. This is Bob's ruminations, Okay. Why wasn't he deposed, 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 deposed? Why didn't somebody else take his, his position? How can this guy be out there eating like an ox for seven years and come back in his, his kingdom being restored to him? Did you ever think about that? Who's the second most powerful man in the kingdom? Daniel! What does he know? He knows he's coming back. Did you ever wonder if Daniel's kind of hanging out there for Nebuchadnezzar? Hey, where's the king at? Well, he's just, he's, uh, he's taking a potty break. <laughs> You know, he's on the throne, just not this one, you know, and, you know, just what are, I don't know. I mean, what do the people know for seven years? I mean, does he, is he having a secret garden? Anyways, you know, <laughs> in, in a place where, okay, this is Nebuchadnezzar's feeding place. Nobody goes there, you know? I mean, he's out there, you know, and it, it talks about his hair being all nettled and everything else. I just can't imagine what this thing looked like, you know, um, at this point. But for seven years, now, do you believe God's word is true or not? Do you think this is just allegory? That God's just using a story? I think it's true. I think it literally happened to the most powerful man on the earth. Go ahead, Phyllis. Sure. Yeah, unrecognizable. Yeah, it's just all nettled. Like talons of a bird. Well, it's just, I think the idea is that they just continue to grow. They weren't clipped. They just continued on. And so, yeah, it, whether, but still people would see somebody. They probably stay away from him. You know, like, oh, what is a weird guy, you know? Why isn't the king doing something about that guy? 
<laughs> Anyways, so just kind of an interesting thing. Anyway, whatever. I just you can let your mind wander and run on this one. Okay, I mean it's just kind of fun stuff, you know. But this is what God is doing to him. And there's a part in here where he says, when he says, in my my understanding and my thoughts came back to me, which means that during the seven years, what he was out of his mind. Do you get it? You have to what is what is he thinking about? He I, clearly he's not thinking about a whole lot. He's thinking like an animal. Do you ever wonder what your dog thinks about? What your cat thinks about? What your bird thinks about? You know, whoa, the, somebody at the gate, the, the, the door open to the gate or of, the, of the house. I can fly around all around the big house, you know, and, you know, whatever. I can eat whatever I want to eat. I don't know. I mean, but I think about Shiloh sometimes, you know. I mean, what is she really thinking? You know, when she's wagging that tail and stuff like that, you know, what, what is she really thinking, you know? And so we kind of laugh because she's very vocal. You know, when I go outside again, you know, and so all you do is say squirrel. And, you know, what is going through her brain, you know? What's going through Nebuchadnezzar's brain? I don't know. Kind of fun. But we're told that at the end of seven years, what happened? He got it back. Just like God had what? Promised, because God is a God of his word. Just as God declared it would happen, it happened. And at the end of then the chastening, the seven years of chastening, he restored his, his mind. And he began then to confess so back from the, the, the first couple of verses and then the end. So I'm only going to focus on the last couple of verses. But you can bring in. Um, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. Isn't that fun? How many of you were singing that with me? Yeah, you got it, okay? See that? You don't even need to see it. You got it. I love memorizing God's word through song, okay? But the first thing he sees is that God is what? He's sovereign. He gets it. Daniel was just kind of mouthing some words. And yeah, okay, Daniel, you got the, the spirit of the gods in you. But I think you're missing this one a little bit. And the time came when Nebuchadnezzar was looking over whose kingdom? Oh, no. From his perspective. His kingdom. That was the pride part, right? And I looked over my kingdom and I was seeing all these things that I have done. I did this and I did this. And he realized, you know what? (laughs) No, God's sovereign. I'm a nobody. And now at the other end of this, I realize God is the one who reigns over all the kingdoms of the earth. He's the one who rules. Secondly, he recognizes then the eternality of Yahweh because he talks about his kingdom is a what? It's an everlasting kingdom. It's a kingdom that does not end. How did I miss this? He showed this to me in the very first of my dreams. The stone which was not made with hands that came and destroyed all the kingdoms of the earth and the kingdom of the stone, it grew and grew and it never had an end. How did I miss it? I get it now. I get it. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Thirdly, the omnipotence of Yahweh. (laughs) He can do whatever he wants to do. Do you really honestly believe that? Do you really believe that God is omnipotent? He is all-powerful. He is able to do whatever he wants to do, and he'll do it with you if you don't submit. That doesn't bode well sometimes. It doesn't sit well with us. We don't like that part of God. 
we like God being the great grandfather in the sky who winks with his eye when we do something wrong, who gives us the piece of candy even when we don't deserve it. But our God is a just God, which we'll talk about in a moment, but he's also all-powerful, all-powerful. And therefore, he can do whatever he chooses to do. He can give the kingdom to whoever he chooses to give the kingdom. And what I think is interesting, and we're not going to talk about it, but the very end, he states the very, very end of this. Um, I think it was Daniel's comment at the very end. Oh, that he gives the kingdom to nobody's. Help me out. It's a great statement. He's going to give the he gives the kingdoms to nobodies. I know it doesn't say nobody. Thirty. Whomever he wishes. And where'd you say, Steve? Where is it at? What verse? He gives it to whomever he chooses, but he gives it to the lowest of men. Is literally what it says. I hate when my brain walks away from me. Ah, you keep looking. Tell me when you find it. But it gives it to the lowest of men. Isn't that kind of cool? It's kind of reminiscent of 1 Corinthians 1, where God chooses the things that are not to confound the things that are, or things that they are. God chooses the weak things to confound the, the, that which things are strong. Do you get it? That's what God does. He delights in people, using people like me to do things that there's no way I could have done. Seven? Seventeen. Ah, the same one about the decree of the watchers. Um, so, so is it part of it? That you may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills and sets it over the lowest of men. Yeah, great. That's what he needed to learn. And he learned it. Okay? So, the omnipotence of God. The grace of Yahweh that he restored the kingdom to him. An amazing thing. He didn't need to do that. But he did it. Now, truth in advertising, I denote still a little bit of pride in Nebuchadnezzar, even at this moment, when he's getting back his kingdom and his this and his this. And I'm thinking, oh, don't do it, Neb. Don't do it. You know, think, think about what happened last time. You know, remember who God is. But then he comes back and he talks then about the justice of God, that God was what and is just in all of his renderings. That what God did to him was what? Just. How do you feel when God does things like that to you? So in the end, after all the distractions and everything else, how prideful are you? What would God say? I remember when I first became a pastor, full-time, um, and I was chosen to be the, the head pastor of a church, and just being overwhelmed by it. And, um, and someone told me about, well, he gave you enough to get you in, but he gave you not enough to keep you humble. And I remember thinking, you know, there's three categories of sin. <coughs> lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And lust of flesh, is, it's been mine, man. From the time I was five years old, that's me, I walked in pornography, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's been, I, I can't deny that lust of the flesh has been a struggle for me all my life, okay? But I never, you know, lust of the eyes, it didn't matter. I, I get to the mall when I can walk away. I don't need to buy anything. There's no lust. Of, and, hum, you know, the, the pride of life, I, I, I knew who I was. It was, it was really okay. No, no struggles for me there. 
Oh, never say never. Because I was like Nebuchadnezzar. And God had to, over the years, just strip away who Bob was and make Bob realize how much he was lusting after things. Not just fleshly things, but just lust of the eyes and how stinking prideful Bob really was. So then a few years ago, someone came to me and says, Bob, you know you're stinking prideful. And I said, you are so right. They kind of took them aback. I would just readily admit it. But I am! So are you. Just remember that. There's three categories of sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You struggle with all three of those. Don't think you don't. You do. Okay? So how prideful are you? Are you ready to admit it? What would God say about you? How malleable are you to be changed by the word of God. This is the word supple. Remember I was talking about Sunday school and I changed from subtle to supple. I decided I don't want supple either. I'm going to go totally malleable on this one so that I don't have to even struggle with what, which word I'm talking about. But changeable. Are you like a piece of clay in the potter's hand that you're willing to be changed in whatever way? Or do you stiffen your neck? Are you causing God to have to treat you like he had to treat Nebuchadnezzar? would be that we're not there. How often do you give glory and praise to God for who he is and what he has done? And finally then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are and what you have done. You are the most high God. There is no other God but you. You have spoken and it has become. You said let there be light and there was light and you divided the light from the darkness and we could go through all the things that you have done. But the most important and amazing thing in my brain, Lord, is that you then made man and you made him in your image and likeness. You breathed into us the breath of life that we might be able to have fellowship with you. You kicked us out of the garden because we listened to Satan. We thought that we, there was a hidden knowledge. There was more knowledge that you hid from us. Forgive us from that, Lord. And, and help us not to repeat that, Lord. Help us to trust that you have placed in your word that which you want us to know and that you're not hiding better stuff from us. Lord, help us to realize that Satan is still about the same thing today as he always has been. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a distractor. He's an accuser. But you, God, are the God of gods. You reign over all things. It's your will that will be done. You're not usurped by created things. You may allow some of these things to happen, but it's only by your will that they happen. Lord, that makes us nervous sometimes when we see some things happen that we don't want to put in at your feet. But you are the God most high. You reign over the heavens and the earth because you made them. You reign over my heart. Even when I don't care to admit it. And God, I ask that you would help us individually and as an assembly to live in submission to you in all things, to give you the glory and the praise that you rightly deserve. Lord, protect us from the evil one. Protect us from from going off after things that aren't in your word to think that we have something special. We're special because of what you've done for us because of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us. And I rejoice in you for that. Be magnified in Christ's name. Amen.